Let's, uh, if we can, let's return to the book of John, chapter 3. Uh, this evening, this afternoon, we're going to uh, return to the subject of the new birth. Of course, this morning, uh, I was trying to speak especially to, uh, to those that might not be born again to kind of draw a distinction between popular religion and the new birth. Of course, if you examine, because of the Lord's mention and teaching on the new birth, religions have adapted their teachings to match. Because uh, the, the teaching of the new birth is a, is a subject that is truly and absolutely unique to Christianity. And man, I am so glad for that. Not just to have a, a distinction and not to ha- be able to one-up other people, but there's a, it, it, the new birth is a point at which... Um, is a point at which spiritual truth kind of intersects with the, the, the physical world. And that is in us. And you still can't see it, but it gives a certain reality, an evidence in us that is, that's a blessing. And it, it is also evident to other people. Um, I do want to say at the outset, as we look at John chapter 3, we just, just basically look at one, one verse to kind of get started, that... Um, when we talk about the subject of the new birth, the most obvious question or, or an obvious question that comes to mind is the question of, and I think, again, I, I've mentioned this before when I've, when I've spoken before, but a lot of people, a lot of people that do not make it known, a lot of people deal with questions and kind of... Uh, swirling doubts just here and there about whether they're truly saved. And uh, I think there's just there's some, there's some points kind of to get out of the way. Number one, God wants each and every one of us, each and every one of his children, to know that they are saved, to know for sure that you're saved without any doubt. He wants that. He says that plainly, right? 1 John chapter 5, verse... These things I've written unto you, verse 12, right? 1 John 5, 12. He wants us to know that we have eternal life. And the second thing is that, uh, is that sometimes these questions swirl in our minds, probably because of our, our particular backgrounds and, and such like that. But God does want us to know for sure. And the Lord tells us to examine ourselves, whether we be in the faith. In other words... He wants us, he wants us to turn a magnifying glass or a microscope, if you will, upon ourselves to examine ourselves, to really seek it out and really know for sure. And if we have doubts, to deal with them, right? To examine ourselves, to deal with those doubts. I know it's easy sometimes the way people commonly deal with doubts. I've had a, you can ask my wife, uh, in, in the past, I have dealt with some 
very, very troubling doubts about my salvation. And, uh, but God wants us to examine ourselves in light of those things and really test ourselves by the Scripture to know for sure. Because here's the thing. Examining yourself, if you are saved, examining yourself in light of God's Word will do nothing but give you assurance. It's a place of comfort, right? Sometimes, uh, of course, we know the book of 1 John was written to, uh, to give people assurance, but it kind of has, has a, a double-sided kind of effect. If you're saved and you read 1 John, you're going to find comfort. But if you're not saved and you read 1 John, you're not going to find comfort. You're going to find conviction, right? And so it should be. But this question of uh, the new birth as we study it uh, this evening the natural question that comes up is, how do I know that I am born again? And I, I'm not going to be able to answer that for you. Um, I, I'm not going to be able to settle, settle every question that's ever popped into your mind on that matter. And I don't, definitely don't want to dwell on the issue of doubts. But, um, but it will not hurt to examine. It will not hurt us to examine ourselves in light of what God says on the matter. Because this is an important matter, right? And so let's look at John chapter 3 and verse number, uh, verse number 8. In the, on the subject of being born again, this spiritual birth, this spiritual kingdom, the Lord says something uh, interesting in verse 8. He says this, The wind bloweth where it listeth. Now, if you don't know anything about the word wind, the word wind and the word spirit are actually the same word in, in the, 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 the language in which the Bible was originally written. It's the same word. So it's interesting the Lord brings this, this kind of illustration into, uh, in, 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 on this conversation. He said, The wind bloweth where it listeth, that is, where it chooses, where it pleases. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So before I pray, basically the Lord's using the wind as an example and says, wind is invisible. Wind is something you can't, you can't see it. It's, it's kind of a mystery. But the fact of its existence is not a mystery because the wind blows and you know because there's evidence, right? There's evidence the wind blows. You see the trees sway. You see the leaves blow in the fall. You, there, there is evidence, there's real life evidence of something invisible affecting this physical world. And God says, so it is with the Spirit, those that are born of the Spirit. So there's a comparison. But what is obvious from this is, number one, there is evidence that a person is born again, right? It's not just a, an imaginary thing that, that we read in the Bible and we just kind of imagine that, that this applies to us. No, 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 it's not like that. It, there are, there's real evidence that this is true, just like there's real evidence that the wind blows and has effect. But at the same time, there is mystery. There's mystery to it because it is invisible and it does work on a level that we don't deal with a lot. And just, just, as, a matter of, as just a matter of fact, sometimes the things which are spiritual are crowded out by the things which are physical that are constantly bombarding our five senses, right? The things that are physical are hunger, our thirst, 
our financial needs, the weather, uh, you know, relational needs, things, uh, everything in our life that we deal with on a, in this world is essentially physical. And so those things bombard our senses and, and it kind of crowds out and overwhelms us to the point that the things which are spiritual, which are also there, sometimes uh, take a back seat. And for a believer, that shouldn't be the case. For a believer, we have to intentionally take those things which are eternal and spiritual and uh, and which we can't see see with our eye. We know from God's Word and faith, but we have to set them in front of us. Does not the Lord say to do that? Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. But there is a certain mystery to it, um, to this, uh, this new birth like the wind. There is a mystery to it. But what I hope to do in our study this evening is to is to examine it, to, to, to just make some, hopefully make some things clear so we can kind of sink our teeth into some concrete truth regarding this and, and it'll give us a better idea of, of uh, the effect of the new birth in our life. All right, so let's pray and then we're going to go to chapter one in the book of John, all right? Father in heaven, I thank you so much for your people that have gathered uh, together here this evening. Thank you for them being faithful and uh, their zeal and desire to hear your word, their attention. Lord, I just pray that you would speak and teach here this evening. Lord, help me to get out of the way so that your, your spirit and your word can, uh, can uh, move among us and, and affect us and change us and make us into what you want us to be. Lord, I am so thankful to you that you are working in us. We are not doing this thing on, on our own. Uh, God in heaven is working in us and through us and uh, to make us what we ought to be. Thank you for your people and what you're doing in their lives. Thank you for uh, your word. I pray for Pastor Stewart. I pray that you would help him to get better quickly. And uh, I pray for your blessing upon him. Bless our time together, Lord. We just commit this time to you, Lord. We want it to be exactly what you want it to be. So help Help us uh, to ensure that that's the case. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 1. First thing I want to point out is something that I mentioned this morning, which is in verse 13, but we'll read verse 12. The Bible says, John 1 verse 12, But as many as received him, that's uh, the word, Jesus, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So what you won't find in the Bible is anywhere where God commands someone to be born again. That would be a vain command because that's not something within our power to do, right? Uh, if God said, be born again, well, we would be at a loss to know how exactly to do that. So what God tells us is in this verse, verse 12, he says, to as many as received him. Now, I know this verse is not a command for you sticklers of English. This verse is not a command, but we know it is commanded for people to receive and believe and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. So God tells us to, God tells us to receive Christ, to believe in him. And then in response to that faith, the Bible says, he gave to them, gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So God commands us to believe, to receive the gospel, to trust in Christ. These are all biblical terms. And then verse 13 says, 
which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And we spoke, we uh, talked about that this morning, how that the new birth, basically this is saying that the new birth can only, can only be brought about by the power of God. No other thing can bring it to pass. Nothing whatsoever. And it doesn't matter. It, it, we, uh, this morning we talked about not of blood. doesn't matter your lineage. So it doesn't matter if your parents are Christians. That doesn't make you born again. Because we'll see in a minute, that which is flesh is flesh. You, you receive that. You receive that nature. You received your physical life from your parents. They were corrupt, so we are corrupt. There's no new birth in that. And then, uh, nor of the will of the flesh, there's nothing that we can do ourselves to bring that new birth about, nor of the will of man. And there's no uh, religious exercise or rite or ritual that we can do, be it baptism, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, the whatever. There's nothing that we can do to bring that to pass. So what I'm trying to get at is this. It says, but of God, which were born of God. That means that the source of the new birth is God himself. Okay, here's the thing. The new birth is an act of God in our lives. See, we, God commands us, God gives us His Word. Of course, His Spirit moves in our hearts to draw us to Him and all of those things. But there is a point at which God gives an invitation to us, a real, sincere, true invitation that we must receive or reject. Now, when you get into questions of, uh, of, of Calvinism and that kind of thing, there's always questions about that and debates and people go in circles about it. But we know that God is the one that approaches us at the beginning. We know we do not have a heart for God. We don't want God. We did not want God. That's not our nature to want God. So God, knowing that, came to us. God is always the initiator, right? But at some point in this process, God does work in us and draws and woo us and those things. But at some point, He says, what is your choice? And we must choose to believe and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that believing in Christ, receiving Christ, is a work that we perform that by virtue of and by the merit of that work, somehow we get saved. No, we are trusting in another. We're trusting in Christ. But there is a point at which our will must be exercised. That is true. But when that will is exercised, in response to that faith in Christ, God does a work in us, right? It's not just we believe and God says, okay, I'm writing your name. I'm writing your name in the Lamb's book of life. Have a good life. You're on your way to heaven. Oh, no, no, no. That's not what God does. God, I don't know how he does it. I'm, I'm doing this, you know, like he's getting ready to do something, getting his power ready or whatever, you know. I'm, I guess I've been watching too many watch too many uh, cartoons with my kids or something, but he, he, he does something. When he sees a person believe on the Lord Jesus Christ at that moment, at that moment, he performs a permanent, eternal, and everlasting act of grace and power in that person to change them forever. Amen. Right? 
This is an act of God. Again, this is the problem. This is the problem, and I'm going to go over this several times. This is the problem with what I was talking about this morning with different religions equating the new birth with some action that we perform, some outward action in religion that we perform. It's not an act of man. It's an act of God that is performed upon us. But that act of God performed upon us, just like the wind, has an effect, has an effect on us. Here's what God does. God uh, performs this act uh, upon us that he has promised in the scriptures, right? He's already told us what he's doing, okay? And he does that to, in effect, change our nature. So God doesn't just save us, but we you know, save us and he forgives us. And there's all kinds of things that God does in that one transaction. But he, he, he saves us, he forgives us, as it were. And now I know, again, you sticklers, there's nowhere the Bible says God writes your name in the book of life. But it's there, okay, it's there, all right? And all of these things happen when we trust in Christ. But then he does something else to change who we are and change our future and to change our life. Now, God could have just saved us and just left us as we were, and we would be saved, and we would have eternal life. But, but he has chosen, he has decided to do something in us that changes our very nature. Again, this is an act of God upon us, not something that we, we perform. He gives us another nature like his own. All right, look at uh, 2 Peter, if you would. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 2 says, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. This is the beginning at the salutation of Peter. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power, notice that word divine, hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. So God did not, listen, God did not just save us and forgive us and send us on our way. He gave us other things that are that pertain to and are related to life and godliness so that we could live a life that is godly, i.e., to change us, right? Through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So you see, this is the, the, the goal here. God wants us. He's called us to glory and virtue. Of course, that's going to happen no matter what. God is going to do that. But here on this earth, He wants us to have a life that is virtuous, Right? Verse number four, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Now, we're going to look at that a little bit later. That by these, that is by the promises, ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And then he tells you, now you got some stuff to do. I've done something in you. I've given you I've made you a partaker of the divine nature. Now, pause. There's only one, if you can say, individual that can be called divine. Who's that? It's God himself, right? It's God himself. 
So if we have a nature that God says is divine, then it must be his own nature because God, God imparts that to us. It doesn't make us God, but he imparts a divine, his divine nature to us. And then having done this work in us, he says, now you have some things to do. He says, I have started this work in you. Now, upon the, upon the power and ability and the grace that I've given you by changing you and your very nature, now I've got, I've got some things for you to do. And when those things come together, you have a Christian who starts to grow and change. And the Bible describes him as going from changing from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord, which is also related to the... Um, uh, the new birth. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says this, For it is God, which some of you are turning there, so my wife's a turning stickler. She says, you, you mention a verse, I'm turning no matter what. The preacher says, you don't need to turn there, I'll read it. She says, I'm turning. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says this, verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Man, that's an abused verse, right? Just do a bunch of good stuff to save yourself. That's not what the verse says. What's the next verse say? Context. For, that's the, that's the foundation upon which that verse is built. That's why the word for is there. For, it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. What does the word to will mean? Where does our will to do God's will come from? Where does our desire to do God's will come from? Come from? It comes from God. That's what the verse says. It doesn't come from us. It comes from God and His work in us. So what I'm telling you is this divine nature is part of, and I guess you could say is the, the how, the how of, of God working in us. The way God has worked in us and continues to work in us is the new birth. That's how, one of the many ways that God has worked in us. He has put something in us to make us want and to do what he wants. That's amazing. You think about the kingdom of God we read this morning is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's not something we have to work up. No, it's something that God puts in us. All right, let's move on to, to another point before I get to, to the meat of it, what I want to say. The second thing I want you to see is first is uh, this new birth is actually an act of God in our lives. The second thing I want you to see is that it is an actual birth. It is an actual birth. Here's what I mean by that. The term the new birth is not merely a term used to compare something or describe how a person that becomes a Christian changes. Don't get this wrong. Cults do this. False religions do this. They say that the new birth is just a, a comparison. So they would say something like, uh, the new birth is, when we become a Christian or we 
join the religion, our life should change like a baby being born or like some, uh, a birth. Sh- the changes are similar to a birth. That's what they would say. But what the Scripture is teaching is not a comparison. The Scriptures, and, and I know it's a kind of a, a silly distinction, but I think it's something we should pay attention to. Because what the Scriptures teach is not, not something being compared, but the Scriptures are saying that there is an actual change. It's not just you're different like a birth. No, you are different. You have changed. Not just your work, your life has changed, the things you do, where you go, how you talk, what you think about, where you frequent. Not that those things have changed, although they have, but that you, there is a material and substantial change in us. We have been changed. This is an actual birth. See, if you use it, if they use the new birth as merely to describe the change of someone when they join a religion, then what? Then in that case, the new birth, if it was used like that, would, would mean there's no actual change in the person. It's just similar to something else. But what God describes is, is a material change that has actually occurred. And actually, the reason I'm making this distinction is because false religions, be it Christian or cults, they describe the new birth like this because they have to have a way to describe or to explain why the people that join their religion aren't any different materially or actually different on the inside. So they say, well, they go different places. They, they start coming to church. They start obeying the rules of the religion. That's what the new birth is. Uh-uh, no, it's not. It's not. Look at John chapter 3 again, verse number 6. In this conversation, the Lord says something interesting, verse 6, that reminds us of this. He says, That which is born of the flesh, what does it say? Next two words, is flesh, which is to say it is flesh and it will never be anything but flesh, right? The flesh is flesh. At the new birth, God does not change the flesh. God does not change the flesh. The flesh and its, and its, uh, and its wicked nature stays the same. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That's not going away. Now, we know there will be a day when it'll be eradicated, but the flesh is not changing. The new birth does not change the flesh. So God says, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That's why when people join a religion, they get baptized and they say, oh, I'm I'm born again because I was baptized. That's why there's no change in their life because that has not changed their essential nature. The flesh is still flesh. You can dress it up all you want. You can change where it goes. You can can bind it. You can hem it in all you want. But its nature, its nature will never change. We just got a dog, right? We just got a dog almost two weeks ago. Huh? It's a beautiful dog. 
You know, we called her Raina. That's my kid's name. I don't have anything to do with that. We called her Raina. And she's about, I don't know how old she is actually, but she's probably around six, seven months old. No matter what you do with that dog, it, I'm, you name it, nothing is ever going to change the nature of that dog. Nothing. When you give it food, it's going to react the same way all the time because it is a dog, right? The flesh is that way. The flesh is the flesh. Nothing changes that. The new birth doesn't change that. The second thing I want us to see is, as I mentioned before, the new birth cannot, because the flesh is flesh, the new birth cannot be produced by earthly lineage, by our parents or our ancestors. See, we got our, we got our physical nature, that is our flesh, with its corruption, inherent corruption. We got it from our mom and our dad, right? You know what? The new birth, the new birth, therefore, the new birth can't come through that line. This is, and I think this was probably more of an issue in days gone by than it is our day, but there are people that think that they're Christians because their parents are, because they were born in the church or whatever. But the flesh is flesh, right? The third thing I want us to see is the phrase in verse 6, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Notice the, the, the phrase, is spirit. You know what that tells us? There is an actual change. There is an actual transaction. This is not just a comparison to help us to understand the change of a new Christian. No, no, no. There is a change in the new Christian. He is born of the Spirit, and so he is spirit. You see? There is a material and substantive change. So here's the thing. If you got saved and you trusted in Christ and what God says is true, which it is, then there has been a material and substantive change that has occurred in your life. Right? It has happened if you're saved. Right? Not just... Not just, it's, it's like I was born again. No, no, no. There is an actual change. That's important for us to see. Now, the last thing I want to cover is also in, uh, in John chapter 3, verse 6, is what you have in verse, verse 6 is you have this comparison. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and the contrast is that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So you have this comparison between the flesh and the Spirit, the flesh and the Spirit, okay? Look at 1 Peter real quick. 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter 1, verse number 22. Now, remember, flesh, spirit, flesh, spirit. There's a comparison. He says, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. 
being born again, not of corruptible seed, all right, that is flesh, right? That's what you got from mom and dad. That's what I got from mom and dad. That is that seed, that, that just like you take a seed, you plant it in the ground, whatever is in that seed is what that plant becomes. All the, that lineage and those, that genetic material produces what, is, what ends up being that plant, all right? So it is with us. That seed from our parents has produced what we are in the flesh. We received our physical nature from our parents. And latent in that, embedded in that physical nature, is corruption. We are broke, right? We are broke. I'll say it again. We are broken. We are corrupt. And that's what the flesh is. There is no good thing in our flesh. And that really rubs people the wrong way. I'll say it again. There is no good thing in our flesh. It is corrupt. It loves evil and it loves rebellion all the time. That's, I mean, that's what, I mean, and I would say what I'm saying is probably light compared to what God says in the Bible about our nature. How God compares it to snake venom and fire and all kind of destructive and terrible things. God says all kinds of things about the human, the human nature, the human condition. Well, sure, you can paint it. You can, you know, do things to it to make it kind of behave temporarily, but that didn't change what it is. You can put a, you can put a, a bow, nice pretty bow, like my wife wants to do, on, a, on the dog, but that didn't make it anything but a dog. It's still going to be a dog. So he says in verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, that's the flesh from our parents, that's our physical nature, but of incorruptible. All right, so we're talking about an incorruptible seed by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Now, I don't think this is, I don't think this seed here is referring to the word of God. I think they're separate. And here's why. Because the seed being referred to is incorruptible seed. All right, so in John 3, it talks about the flesh and the spirit. Flesh and the spirit. There's this comparison. Corruptible is the flesh incorruptible is the spirit. So we know the nature we receive from our father is carnal and corruptible, but the seed from which we, from which we receive the spiritual nature, this is the new birth, right? Is incorruptible. It can't not, what does the word incorruptible mean? Cannot be corrupted. It doesn't mean it is it is pure. It means it cannot be, it's not possible to corrupt it. That's going to be important in a minute. So just as the corruptible part of us, that, that, that physical nature, it longs after sin. It loves sin because it's of the flesh. It's carnal. And that's what drives us and, and draws us towards sin, even though maybe we don't want to do it. But it draws us like a magnet. It's an appetite that wants to be satisfied. So the incorruptible nature, likewise, draws us toward holy things draws us toward God, draws us toward His will. That's the same. It has the same effect. Do you see, this is how God is working in us. Now look at Ezekiel chapter 26 to, to kind of have, have an illustration of this. 
Ezekiel chapter uh, 36, I'm sorry. This is the other passage in the Old Testament that prophesies where God tells uh, in advance what he would do in the new birth. Ezekiel 36 verse 26 says this. It says, a new heart also will I give you. And a new spirit will I put within you. You see that? Now, when he says, I'll put a new spirit within you, now, he didn't remove the flesh. He put a new spirit in. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. The idea of it being alive. Once dead, spiritually dead, now spiritually alive. A stony heart is dead. The spiritual heart is alive to God. All right? And I will put my spirit. That's the divine nature we read in 2 Peter chapter 1. My spirit. So this is God imparting part of himself to us. My spirit within you and cause you. This is the effect. To walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. Why will we walk in his statutes? Why will we keep his judgments? Why? What is the reason in verse 27? Because... His spirit that he put within us. I don't necessarily think this is talking about the Holy Spirit, but he's talking about this this new nature. This is the new birth, which is by the Spirit of God. This is how God describes it. But notice, the effect of this new birth, God putting his spirit within us, the effect of this new birth and this change, again, the This doesn't change our flesh, but it does. It is a permanent and material change in us. It changes who we are. And that effect is it draws us to righteousness. It draws us to obeying the Lord. It draws us toward things that please God. And that's what God is doing in us. And so what God, when God does that, he says in 1 John, for instance, he says over and over, well, We'll get to that in a minute, once we arrive in 1 John. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. So go back to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. And if you want to get that, and then get Galatians chapter 5. We can read those together because they go together. Romans chapter 7 and Galatians chapter 5. Romans chapter 7, verse number... Of course, if you've read at Romans, you've probably read chapter 7 with interest because chapter 7 describes the struggle that all Christians deal with, this kind of conflict that we have between one part of us and another part of us. The conflict between one part of us and another part of us. So we know we have the flesh and it's not gone away and it's corrupted. And we also know that we have an incorruptible seed in us, that is this new nature which we received, which is the new birth. 
So we have a, a new spirit, a new nature that is incorruptible, and it loves God, and it wants to do the will of God, and it loves things that are right, and it draws us toward the Lord. So you have two things that are contrasting that are, at, that are in conflict with one another. And so in chapter, chapter, 20, uh, chapter 7, verse 22, the Bible says, Paul says this, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Now, stop. Regardless of whether or not you feel like you keep God's law and obey the Lord, I want to ask you something. Do you want to and delight in doing what God wants you to do? That doesn't, listen, the irony is, even though you want to do what God wants you to do, and listen, I'm not talking about just the words. Remember we talked about this morning, Religion's all about the way things appear. So every, every member of a church is going to say, oh, yes, I want to do God's will, right? But I'm saying in your heart of hearts, is that what you want to do, right? If, exactly. Deep down inside of us, we delight and we want to do God's will if we've been born again because we have that nature, that incorruptible seed in us, which is the new birth, right? We've been born again. And that part of us, it wants to do God's will so bad, and we delight to do it. But why don't you do it all the time? Why don't I do it all the time? Because there's another law, verse verse 23. There's another law in my members, that's the body, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Another word for the flesh the corrupted part of us. So you have this struggle. Part of us wants to do God's will, and part of us doesn't want to do God's will. Now, when we sin, look at verse 20. Now, if I do that, I would not. Now, I know sometimes this language might be confusing. It's just simply saying, if I do that, I don't want to do. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. You know what this verse is saying? This is striking. This verse is saying when a Christian sins, the person, the agent committing the sin is the flesh, not the spirit. You have this, you have this two parts of us, if you could put it like, say it like that. And the part of us that sins, it says, it is, when I sin, it is no more I that do it. Paul is saying, I'm not doing that. Sin is doing it. That's what the verse says, does it not? I can't say I explain it in full. Because we all know that in practice, there's the reality of our flesh yielding to that. And that's, that goes into it. You know, you got to yield to the spirit or yield to the flesh. But what Paul says in this verse is striking. He says, when I sin, it's not me, the one doing it, it's it's the flesh, sin that dwelleth in me. That's the flesh. That's that corrupted nature. And you would have to, if you, if you have been born again, you would have to acknowledge that you have that struggle. You don't want to do it, but yet you do. And if you don't want to do it, then that means what's doing it is the sin that is in you. Right? Now, some people get discouraged at this point. I know Zach gets discouraged at this point. Yes, you do. You've told me. You're good right now. (laughs) At this moment. 
But this struggle, how do I, how do I say no to sin? How do I do God's will? How do I say yes to the Lord? And there's, I, there's, there's different things in book of Romans chapter 6, talking about yielding the members of, uh, unto righteousness and those kinds of things. But here's the thing. It should encourage you. If you feel that struggle, that's a very good sign that you have been born again. The struggle itself, the struggle is bad. Nobody likes the struggle. Everybody wishes it was easy. But the struggle itself is evidence that you have that other nature that wants to do righteousness, that God put in you when you believed in Christ. He did it. He changed you. He did something in you. You're a different person now. Listen, religionists, if I can put, use that term, religionists, the people that are members of churches and think they're born again uh, because they've been baptized, they don't struggle. They don't. I'm telling you, they don't. They just convince themselves that what they're doing is right. They don't have a struggle with sin. They don't feel regret. They don't, they don't sense that pull towards sin and then that opposite pull toward righteousness because of those two natures. You know why? Because they don't have the second nature. They only have the flesh. And what they do is to fulfill the flesh is they find a way to allow their religion to fulfill it. Ooh, that's even better, right? Fulfill the flesh in the context of religion. So now I'm doing, I'm fulfilling the lust of the flesh with the approval of my religion. Oh, that's even better. And that's why you see so many carnal things go on in the name of religion. Well, as I said at the beginning, the examination for a true believer, for one of God's children, the examination will only bring assurance. You struggle so much, and sometimes, listen, I know how this works because I've experienced it. Sometimes we have that struggle, and we find it, if we say to ourselves, if I was saved, I wouldn't do this. If I was saved, I wouldn't do this. And we beat ourselves up. And, and you know, It's wicked. You shouldn't do it. I agree. God says it's wicked, whatever that, whatever that sin is. God says it's wicked. And we think, if I, if I was really saved, I wouldn't do this. But the, the truth is, the fact that you care, the fact that you're bothered, the fact that you have a desire toward God and toward doing his will is in itself evidence that you are God's, God's child. You, see, the struggle sometimes makes you doubt. Well, if I was really a Christian, I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel this or do this or want to do this. I wouldn't feel tempted. I wouldn't fall so often. But in fact, the fact that you are so down about that is actually the biblical evidence that you have been born again. It's amazing. God uses the very thing we struggle with to give us assurance. Now that, of course, I'll just say this just as a matter of course, that doesn't mean that sin is okay. It's not. God wants us to get beyond that. But just like the idea of God chastening his children when we do wrong, 
He uses the thing to correct us as itself the, the point of assurance, you see. I am your, I am your father. Whap! <laughs> You're going to obey me. Whap! Right? Why? I love you. Whap! You're mine. Whap! <laughs> That's what God's doing. He's using the very thing that is, is designed to correct us to give us assurance. Ain't that amazing? Galatians 5, you should already be there. If you turn there at the same time, which I didn't. Galatians 5, verse 17 says the same thing. Now, verse 16 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Again, you see both of these. The contrast, flesh, spirit, flesh, spirit. That's in John chapter 3. That's in 1 Peter chapter 1. Flesh, spirit, flesh, spirit, flesh, spirit. For the Christian, we have both. We have both natures. And there's evidence of that second nature, the spirit. There's evidence. There's a work in your life that God did. But for someone who doesn't, who's not born again, regardless of their religion, it's just flesh. How, how to fulfill that? Notice what it says. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. That's Romans chapter 7, verse 22. This is the same thing. I want to do, I have things I want to do for God. I, ha, I don't want to commit the sin. I want to do God's will. And the, the, the flesh says, uh-uh, I ain't giving up without a fight. And they're contrary. And the, thus you have a struggle. The struggle of the born-again person. Now let's look at 1 John as we get to the end here. 1 John chapter number 3. Verse number seven. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. Be careful when you read these verses. These verses are not trying to teach that because a person does righteous works, they are therefore righteous. As in, the works make them righteous. It's rather the reverse. They are righteous, therefore they do righteousness. Why? Because they have been born again. And they have a corruptible, an incorruptible seed in them that longs for righteousness. And what is the outcome, the effect of that? doing righteousness. Verse 8, And he, he that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God, that's what we're talking about, doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. Pretty troubling verse, I would say. At first glance, it appears this verse is saying, if you're born again, you never sin. So at the outset, before I explain it, here's what this verse 
uh, which has troubled a lot of people. Here's what it absolutely cannot teach, because if it did, it would contradict other scriptures. All right? Number one, this verse cannot teach that it is possible for a person to, to, to live sinlessly without sin at all. We just read Romans chapter 7. Paul himself, if there was anybody that lived without sin other than Christ himself, it would have been Paul. And he said in Romans chapter 7, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Paul was not sinless. This verse is not teaching that someone can be sinless. Number two, this verse can also not be teaching that anyone who commits a sin is not a Christian. <laughs> if it's teaching anyone who sins is, is therefore because they sin one time, they're not a Christian. That's, I mean, if you read it, whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. John, have you committed a sin since you've been, you say you've been born again? Yes. You're not born of God. You can't do that. Can't do that. At first glance, that's what it sounds like. But look, but look, but if that was the case, there's none, there's none, none of us born again at all. There's not a soul upon the earth who's born again. It is not, it is not, not the case. No one is born again, if that's what it means. You see, that's why you have to think upon it and, and compare it with other scriptures, right? So what does this mean? It just simply means, you remember in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, it says that we have the flesh and the spirit. We have that flesh is corruptible and the spirit is incorruptible, which I said means what? Cannot be corrupted. This verse says the same thing. It says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Now, don't stop there. Keep reading because the four gives you the explanation. For his, that's God's, seed, that's what we read in 1 Peter chapter 1, 23, remaineth in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. What part of us has been born of God? The new birth, that's the spiritual nature. And I told you, God said, 1 Peter chapter 1, it's incorruptible. It can't, it can't be corrupted. It's not like our flesh. It can't be corrupted, so it can't sin. And then we read in Romans chapter 7, if I do that which I would not, then it is no more I that do it. But what does it? What sins? Sin that dwelleth in me. So that means the, the committer, the foul fiend, that commits all those wicked sins is actually that wicked nature in us that we yield to. But, that, but God's nature in us, that spiritual nature that we received at the, at the new birth when we were born again, it never does that. Not even once. Not even once. So the flesh is the culprit. And this is the basis. This is the reason that God tells us over and over. Romans chapter 6. It, it, what you do and what I do is going to be determined by this question. To whom do I yield? That's what's going to determine it. If you, if you yield to the Spirit 10 out of 10 times, you will not sin. That's why we say, and it's true, the Christian does not have to sin. 
you just yield to the Spirit, it's easier said than done. I'll acknowledge that. So when we look at the, the new birth, when we look at the, the different words to describe it, the divine nature, the spiritual nature, the incorruptible seed, all of those things are describing the same event, the same substantive material change that has happened to you. I just want to ask you this, and I, and I hope it's a matter of assurance for you. When we look at all those things, we start to see, yeah, the wind blows wherever it listeth. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whither it go, whence it cometh, whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So have you been born of the Spirit? If you've been born of the Spirit, do you see those effects in your life? Not you working it up. Not you working it up, trying hard. Oh, no, 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 no. This is God working in you. This is God himself working in you to do what he wants you to do. That's an amazing thing. That's probably one of the things that surprised me most after I got saved is because I was already a member of Choice Hills Baptist Church tech, you know, on paper. I was a member of the church. I'd been baptized. I went to, came to church all the time and all those things. I had my little prayer list, little thing, little, you know, I did all that. But, that. but after I got saved, what I realized is there's somebody else this changing me. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not doing this. This is another party that's changing me and making me do these things that I didn't do before and want to do things that I didn't want to do before. There's another person at work in this, in this man. You know who that is? That's God. And that's what I said at the beginning. That is the intersection between what we know is the truth, the new birth, doctrinally, and where, that's the wind, and where it affects and the evidence of it is shown in our life. We could say, I don't know what's happening, but something's, somebody's doing something in me, changing me. Yeah, you're right. He did, and he is, and he's going to continue. Amen. Let's pray.